Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Hi, Rockbrook. I'm so glad you're here so I didn't have to be here by myself and so grateful for a nice, warm dry place to worship together today. Welcome everybody who's watching online or listening by podcast later this week. Welcome to week three of Breaking Free and today is day eight of 21 days of prayer and fasting. I want to just thank Pastor Andrew and the student team last week for helping us uh, kick off 21 days of prayer and fasting well. Uh, Last Sunday night at seven o'clock had a powerful service in here, now night of worship and prayer. We're going to have another one of those tonight. I'm excited to get to lead worship at that tonight at 7. And we uh, just begin our year uh, dedicating it to God, to focus on Him in prayer. We have things we're praying about each day, ways uh, to guide us through this season. We also fast to disconnect from the world, starve the flesh a bit. just want to remind you why we fast in these days and why Christians fast We are not fasting to earn a place in heaven or paradise or to keep a command or to earn God's favor. That's what some religions teach about fasting. That's not what Christians do. We have those things as a gift to us through Jesus Christ from God. Thank God for that. Uh, But no, we're fasting to demonstrate our reliance on him. It humbles us, helps us to seek God's will helps us turn from sin, uh, to worship him without distraction. So that's the focus of these days, putting God first before we get to the next thing. I'm getting excited about the next things that we're going to do. Our next series in February, you're going to love it. And then uh, small groups launching, we'll gather together in small groups. I'm so thankful for my guys' small group, the focus and fun. I was thinking about that the other day. They bring fun and focus to my life, and I'm so thankful for them. So small group leaders, please be registering your groups in these days so that we can be ready for a good launch right at the beginning of February. Today, though, we're going to continue in this series, Breaking Free. Breaking free from what? Well, we're breaking free from strongholds. Uh, where the enemy uh, attacks us and holds on and makes us feel like we're not free. And last week we talked about the stronghold of addiction, that thing that you can't stop doing. Next week we're going to talk about the lies and strongholds of sex and sex lies. It's a stronghold that's messing up our relationships and our society and it'll be a good message for everybody but uh, I encourage you to be here and and to hear that message. This week, though, we're going to talk about something that Jesus says we can absolutely be lied to about and fall for the wrong thing, and it can create a stronghold in our life. It's an area that many people think, well, it's not really that big of an issue, it's just a thing. Uh, It's just a thing to manage. But Jesus says, no, 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 there's actually a spiritual element to it, and that is the topic of money. And this is going to be a different kind of money message than I've ever given. Uh, Last year, I preached two money sermons. Both times were on how to manage money, making money decisions. We did that in our Tough Choices series. Another one we did in our relationship series of how to get on the same page of money so that you don't have to fight about it or it be a problem in, in your relationship. 
This is a different kind of money sermon today. This is money as it is a stronghold and how the enemy lies to us, the arguments, the pretensions that come up and how to break free from those lies because money touches everything. Like when we're talking about money, it's more than just money in our life because almost every decision we make in our relationships, with our job, with schooling, with our health, almost all of it is influenced by and then affects money. So let me just tell you before we get going today, uh, a kind of a big qualifier, and that is if you're struggling with money, or you're struggling to make ends meet right now, or you and a family member are struggling to get on the same page, or you've made a money mistake and you're still paying for it, or you're struggling with materialism, or maybe you're just uh, frustrated or annoyed that you made it all the way to church today, or you're tuned in online and the topic is money and you don't want to hear a money sermon. If that's you, uh, let me tell you what you are. You are human, okay? You are normal. Like that's just very, that's a very human thing. And there's no condemnation today. There's no pressure today. But we do need to see how God, how Jesus, how scripture addresses this in a way that's much more than at times we give it credit for. And I want to begin in Luke chapter 16, where Jesus is talking, that's important, he says this, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And that's just a statement It's very, very similar to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven and put your focus there, like invest in that and then you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. But he goes on. He says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you think you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, meaning that you have, like we have things in our life that we don't own, that we oversee, that we manage, well, if you're not trustworthy with those, who will give you property of your own? Verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we're actually serving one of these two mindsets, one of these two beliefs in our head. And then it kind of finishes up with some narrative of what was going on. Jesus was teaching the disciples But the Pharisees, these are religious leaders and and those who did not like Jesus, who dearly loved money, who dearly loved their money, heard all this and scoffed at him. Then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Now I highlighted or underlined three things in in that section of scripture worldly wealth worldly wealth and money and in each of those three places the word Jesus would have used speaking the language he was speaking the word that would have come out of his mouth was the word mammonis mammonis 
which is translated to, if you were just to directly translate that word to a word in the English language, it is worldly wealth or money or material possessions. So some translations translate it that way. Other translations, and just hang with me here for a moment, they use a transliteration of the word, meaning uh, a transliteration is uh, something with a when someone's doing textual criticism or translating the Bible, they're going to take the original word and then create, just make up a word in the English word to kind of hold, hold what was happening, what he was saying. And so you can see that in this translation, for instance, uh, in the Amplified, many other translations do this. Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. Now, what in the world is mammon? Jesus here is personifying money. It's similar to how in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified. It's personified as a person crying out in the street, uh, will anybody listen to me? Someone listen to, to me. Someone listen to wisdom. And Jesus is personifying money here as mammon, someone we do not want to serve. And Jesus' words here show a powerful contrast between worship of the material world and the worship of God. Mammon, though, was not something he was just coming up with. Mammonus, or mammon, was a false god. It was the false god of riches that came out of Syria, the Syrian god of riches. And it actually originated in Babylon. Babylon originated it, Syria picked it up. What's interesting is Babylon means in confusion. That's what the word means. And everywhere you have this spirit, everywhere that you buy into the, the lies of mammon, there's confusion in that area of money. Now Haggai put it this way. Haggai in the Old Testament said, it's like I get money, put it in pockets, and there's holes in them. Like, I don't know what happens. I don't know where it goes. I don't know what's going on. What in the world is going on? There's confusion around it. And is there not confusion around it today? Anger, tension around money? And it's because of the spirit of mammon that clouds our thinking about money and it creates a pretension or a stronghold. That's why the number one thing out of our nation's capital coming out is just confusion about money. It's why the world is so confused about money. It's why families uh, and households are angered about it, divided about it, confused about it. Now, mammon, at the end of the day, is absolutely the spirit of the devil. That's why the devil is called a thief. He'll rob from you. You buy into this mindset. He'll steal from you. He's out to steal, kill, and destroy. The Antichrist is going to rule with the spirit of mammon. The Antichrist, we see in the book of Revelation, when the Antichrist threatens people, he doesn't do it with nuclear war. He doesn't do it with the threat of death. He doesn't do it with race or mind control, or all these other popular theories out there. He threatens you with the inability to buy and sell. So you better take this image upon you. You better take the mark of the beast or you're not going to be able to participate in buying or selling. And he lies to get you to believe this mindset to forget that God is your provider. When Jesus says you can't serve both God and mammon, he's not saying it. It's like, that's really not a good idea to do that. He's saying literally it's impossible to serve both God and mammon. It's impossible because they both 
have a spirit of influence on your life. For the believer, money has God's spirit of influence or mammon's spirit of influence. And it, it, either or. And when it has God's spirit on it, it's submitted to God. It's used for the purpose of God. It never, is repla- it never replaces itself with God. It elevates God. It lets God be number one. But mammon lies to us. Money lies to us. Money brings false promises. It, it will promise you what only God can really give you. And only what God can really fulfill. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three lies that mammon tell us. One, mammon tells us money will make me secure. If I have it, I can insulate myself from my problems. So if I get a lot of it, we even have a phrase for it. We say, I need to be financially secure, as if there's such a thing. There's a proverb that describes this idea. Uh, notice it with me, Proverbs 18:11. The wealth of the rich is, and notice this word, it's their fortified city. Like, it's not real, but it, they feel they've fortified themselves through their wealth. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. It's a pretension. They think it's so high, nothing can get in. No one can scale it. But if that were true, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this question. How much money would you need to secure your future against all imaginable eventualities? Like if you could put a money on, or a, a dollar amount on that, how much money would it be? Well, here's the answer. Uh, it's more than I currently have, right? That's for sure. And it always is. And that's the danger. That's why you got to be careful with that. That's why Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 tells us this. Keep your lives free from the love of money. It doesn't say keep your lives free from money. That's not the issue. Keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God. Why? Because of what God has said. God says, let me be your fortification. The church, mammon can be disguised in the church, and it's always disguised in the church as an extreme. And you see it generally in two different extremes. One is what's called a prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel, you've heard it, it says this, uh, if you give to God, or if you give to this, you give to me, you give to this ministry, uh, you will be more fortunate because of it. And God's going to pay you back e- even more. And you're going to have more money. And, but the prosperity gospel goes so far as to say, then the things that you have and the wealth that you have are confirmation of your salvation. They're confirmation that you really have God's favor. And it's, disguised, it's, it's the spirit of mammon disguising itself. But then the pendulum can swing to another extreme of a poverty gospel that says, uh, no, you're assured of your salvation when you're not material. You don't have any materialistic things. You don't have anything nice. If you're a Christian, uh, don't go there. Uh, there's danger in all of that. And then it says, well, you're re- you're truly saved because uh, you don't have any worldly possessions or worldly things. It's the spirit of mammon disguising itself as an extreme. When really what the the gospel brings us is a provision gospel that God wants to be in a relationship with you and provide for you and for you to put your trust in him and provide for you so you can be a blessing to others. Where God is here saying, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. The Lord's my provider. I will not be afraid. So yes, the world will threaten you with different things and there'll be different fears about different things when it comes to money, but we can say with confidence, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? God is my source. You realize your source of income uh, in your life is God. It's not a job. It's not anything else. Those are just a resource. Then God will use many different types of resources. At the end of the day, he is the source. Mammon says, no, I've got a better way. I've got a better source. God says, no, I am the way. Another lie Mammon tells us is that money will make me significant. The spirit of Mammon says, you know, if I had a better car, the people at work would listen to me. If I had better clothes, people would respect me. If I had a better house, my family would look up to me. If the spirit of mammon will even, even say this, you know, if you had more money, you could help more people. Well, that sounds spiritual. It sounds good. But if that were the only truth about money, Jesus himself would have gotten wealthy, would have gotten rich. But no person ever ran up to Jesus and said, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus tells him, well, you need more money. No, you don't need more mammon, you need more God. Don't, don't look to stuff to define your significance. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, he said to them, watch out. Beware, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. An abundant life does not, does not exist in an abundance of things. That's not where true life is. That's not where real life is. So he says, don't even go there. It's a lie. And the enemy's trying to get you to trust it. And here's one more lie that Mammon tells us, and I've heard this one and believed it, and you've heard it and believed it at times too, and that is money will make me happy. And if that were true, the richest people on the planet would be the most content they would be the most happy. The richest people on the planet would have the longest lasting marriages. <laughs> is that true? No, not even close. It, the, the truth is happiness, money doesn't have anything to do with it. There are happy rich people. There are happy poor people. There are uh, miserable rich people. There are miserable poor people. But you know why stuff itself will not bring happiness? It's because it always gives you an appetite for more. Anybody else watch that show Shark Tank? I recently got into Shark Tank. Any Shark Tank people out there? I, I just recently, like I started back at season one. And I've been watching Shark Tank. And it's a lot of fun because as stuff comes up on the show, I can search it and see, oh man, they're fighting over this. I wonder what's happened to it. And it's like 10, 12 years later. You can see what, what went well, what didn't. And you know, who didn't get a deal and they laughed at him and they left and maybe ended up doing really well. And so that's kind of been fun. But Robert, one of the sharks on there, who I, I really like Robert. Robert's worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And he said this on the show. He said, I get, to, I get three to four hours of sleep every day. I don't do it because I want to. I do it because I have to. I'd rather be rich and tired than well-rested and poor. And he's trying to, to push this entrepreneur to work harder. But I thought, 
my goodness, hundreds of millions of dollars don't even buy you a good night's sleep anymore, does it? Like, that sounds miserable to me. And, and the truth is, if you're following the wrong spirit, and I'm not picking on Robert here. Robert's more than welcome here at Rockbrook Church, and, and I appreciate, you know, his messages against communism and those different things. That, that, that's just the, the truth that I'm leading to. Is that if you're following the wrong spirit, money can rob you of the simplest joys of life. It can rob you of sleep, which God says is a gift to us. I've taught you this before. I did a whole sermon on sleep. That sleep is the daily reminder that we're not in control, that we're not God. Because if I could get away with it, and you could get away with it, and Robert could get away with it, we'd never sleep. We'd just keep going, and we'd get ahead, and we'd finish more projects, and we'd work more, and we'd earn more money, and we'd do more. But at the end of the day, no matter who you are, how wealthy or poor, no power, how powerful or whoever you might be, we all, every one of us, have to lie down defenseless, like a little baby, close our eyes and sleep. Why? Because we're not God. We're not in control. But why this pursuit? Why this pushback that we give? Because the more you have, the more you want. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, those who love money, they'll never have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. Yeah, stuff will make you happy for a minute, and God's not saying you can't have it. But he's saying, don't look for it for true happiness. You want to be happy? Do you want true happiness? The Apostle Paul points us to it in Romans 4. He's quoting David, Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Aren't you glad that through Jesus Christ you are forgiven and cleared of sin? of sin. I got to tell you, it makes me happy. It makes me happy when I think about I was on a road headed for death, destruction. Friend, I was on a path headed for hell. There was no way that I could be saved. And Jesus made a way for me to be saved. And I had sin that was hanging over my head and it brought me shame and condemnation. And he cleared me of that record of wrong and he's cleared my sin the bible says he's thrown it on the bottom of the ocean floor never to be returned again some weeks ago we were doing that song child of love i'm gonna shout about it i am a child of love and uh, it was the closer and man it's just so life-giving and awesome in here and everything and after the song someone turns to me and says why is everybody so happy? And uh, I said, well, we're saved. We're saved. Like th this is why we're so happy. My sins are forgiven. And it makes me happy. Last night uh, after first service, a guy comes up to me and uh, he's going through a lot right now, a lot of grief and a lot of, a lot of pain. I can't imagine what he's going through. And he told me, he said, I was so glad it snowed yesterday, so I had a reason not to go to church. And he said, I was sitting on the couch, and I felt God tell me, you know, you, you'll really be encouraged if you go to church. He says, I don't want to go to church. You know, you'd really be built up if you went to church. And he just he said it wouldn't go away. And he said, okay, God, I'll go to church, 
but I am not singing, okay? I'm not going to sing. And he said, you know, I got here, and during the first song, he said, it just came over me. I thought, God is so good. How could I not sing to him? And when you think about the goodness of God in your life, like how could you not worship him? How could you not praise him? And so how do we serve God? How do we take even our money and, and put it under the influence of God? How do we break the spirit of mammon and have God's, God's spirit on our finances? And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be bold today uh, because as a young pastor, I've worked very hard. Lauren and I have worked very hard to earn your trust and respect in this area so that these messages can be received. I think they matter in our life, and I, don't, I would never want to do anything with my money that would be a barrier for you or for the church to receive these messages. The same would go with our church as an organization, as a staff. Our staff manages their departments and finances in our church with excellence, with integrity. Uh, we steward it so well so that money's not even a factor when we go to preach. Like, I'm not thinking about offerings when I go to bring God's word. I just bring God's word as a whole and, and let it be what it is. And when we preach on money, in fact, it's not even because we need more of it. We're very thankful for your giving. We do need it. I mean, Rockbrook is supported just on people who come to church here, just the faithful members giving. But when we bring money messages, it's not like, oh, offerings are low. We better bring a money message to get it back up. That's not the motive. It's because as a believer, this matures us. And we need to break any spirit of the enemy that's on our life. And God's so clear about how to break it. We see it in the Garden of Eden. We see it with Abraham. We see it in the law. We see it to the Israelites. Jesus commends it. The Apostle Paul encourages it. They all do it. Why? Because the spirit of mammon is broken in our life when we, number one, when we return the first to God. God says the first belongs to him. It communicates to God that he has first place in your life. So much of the Christian life is words. And words are powerful. And they're necessary. And what we believe matters. We listen to, to preaching with words. We connect with our small group with words. Uh, we sing songs with words. All of these words. And then when it comes to money, it's an actual thing, an action that we take to put our faith and trust to say, are we prioritizing God or not? And we've got, we've got to put our money there into our faith. Deuteronomy 14, says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. He says, set aside a tenth. Now, the, the word for that, maybe you've heard this word, is a tithe. It means a first tenth. It's a first fruit. And we practice this as a church. Anytime you give an offering to the church, we take 10% off the top, very first thing. We set it aside, and it's not used for Rockbrook things. It's, it's given to missions. It's given to, to bless others with it. I want you to know, I believe this. Tithing has taught me to revere the Lord my God always. And I'll tell you this, and, and I'll, I'll give you this qualifier before I say this next part. I do not see who gives what to Rockbrook. Uh, never see who gives what amount, who gives, who doesn't. That's not, I don't look at that. I don't see that. Our staff doesn't see that. But I do hear testimonies from givers, and it's always one of two testimonies that I hear. One is from tithers, one is from non-tithers. And the tither always says, you know, I don't know how it works out, 
but I'm, I'm blessed and it's like there's a covering on my finances and I just don't worry. What, people around me are worried, I'm not worried. The others is from non-tithers and their testimony is always this, I can't afford to tithe. Now, I've never heard from a believer who doesn't want to give. A Christian is God's spirit in them. It's the spirit of generosity. They want to give. But the spirit of mammon lies and says you can't afford to do it. And, and I'll just say this as lovingly as I can. You'll never be able to afford to tithe until you tithe. Because tithing is what breaks the stronghold of the devil, releases the confidence, the blessing of God. First and Second Corinthians has a lot to say about it. But in this passage it says, On the first day of every week, Oh, can we go back one? Thanks. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, meaning it, it's a percentage gift. that not, We don't all give the same amount, but we have the same level of participation. And I would tell you, watch out. There are many organizations, actually a sign of a cult, when someone says, you know, everybody needs to go out and get this certain amount of money. Everyone needs to go get $3,000, however you want to give it, and then and give it. That, that's not Christianity. That's not anywhere in the Bible. That's not a good sign. But we do go on, take aside some of our money in keeping with our income, saving it up so that he says, when I come, no collections will have to be made. I love that. He says, you know, when I come, I don't want to have to do a fundraiser. I don't want to have everyone fill out pledge cards and make faith promises and these different things. He says, just give in your relationship to God and then, and then we'll lead that way. And I love that. But another thing we've got to do to break the spirit of mammon is we have to steward the rest. We are stewards of what is material. Luke 16, 10 again says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little, well, they think, you know what? If I just had more, I would do the right thing with that. I can't do the right thing because there's so little. And Jesus says, no, if you're dishonest with very little, you'll be dishonest with much. If you can't be trustworthy with the possessions you have right now, how can God give more for you to reign over? That's why this, the stewarding is so important. When you begin to see your money, when you begin to see your relationship with your money as I am a steward, it breaks the spirit of mammon in your life. Because you come to a point where you say, you know what, I came into this world with nothing. I'm leaving this world with nothing. I don't even really own this stuff. This stuff is not even really mine. God has given and trusted it to me for a period of time. And so I'm going to do what he says to do with it. I'm going to follow his ways. And I tell you, if you do that, it's the most fulfilling, rewarding, confident, peaceful life. Like that is where financial security is. When you say, I'm a steward of what God's doing, because I know God loves me. And I know God wants the best for me. Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent, they lead to profit. As surely as haste leads to poverty. Of oh, just haste, hey, so we've got to do this. So I'm going to do my own thing. Now again, this is not a money-managing sermon. This is a breaking the stronghold sermon. I've done several of those on how we can steward our finances and we'll have more opportunities this year for like Financial Peace University and things that can help with investing and earning and budgeting and buying and all those kinds of things. But this is a 
Man, when I see myself as a steward, it breaks the back of mammon in my life. Gets me to where I serve God only. Let's look at one more thing that can break the spirit of mammon. And this one, I'll give you the verses before we, before we look at the point. Jesus tells this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for, and this is where he makes the mistake, for many years. He assumes that because he has more money, more property, more stuff, that he has more time. He thinks more money equals more years. And so he says, you know what? I'll just take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Now notice this. He does not say you fool for being successful. He doesn't call him a fool for making money. He does not call him a fool for multiplying his harvest and doing a good job. He calls him a fool because he's confused about what to do with the extra. And he's confused about his thinking. And he says, no, you don't have many years. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Meaning you won't even get to tell people what to do with it. You'll be gone. And then Jesus makes this statement that again just breaks mammon's back. He says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself. But is not rich toward God. The most fulfilled life is one that focuses on treasures of heaven, that realizes this life is not all there is. This is not all that matters. And I can enjoy what God has entrusted to me here and manage it well and also use it to get more people into heaven and to follow God more faithfully. So how can I break the spirit of mammon? This is the last point, and then we'll pray. It's I need to focus on true riches. Would you pray with me, please? Well, God, I pray against the spirit of mammon uh, in, in my life, in my family, in our church, in the families represented here, in our society. God, what we don't want to fall for the lies that money is what will make us secure or that money will make us more significant or that money will bring true happiness. God, true happiness is found in you and you alone. That there is joy when we are forgiven. There is joy for those whose sins are put out of sight. There is joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. God, thank you for doing that through the cross, through the resurrection, through giving your life, through dying in our place. God, we worship you because of it, because you made a way for us. God, I thank you for such an amazing church family uh, that really believes this stuff that wants to follow you wholeheartedly, and it's an honor to be a part of it. I just pray that you would give, give the church a peace that passes understanding as we put our trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.